0: All right. This is the third and last installment of our series, The Heart. And uh, if you're a follower of Christ here this morning and you've repented and turned from your sin and put your faith on Jesus Christ as your only means for rescue, then that means the Bible calls you a saint. Isn't that weird? It's weird to think about, right? A saint. I am a saint. Well... Most of the time when we think of the word saint, we think of St. Nicholas or some monk somewhere living uh, in a monastery or maybe Mother Teresa or uh, the football team that knocked the Eagles out of the playoffs. That's what we think of when we think of the saints. But the word really just means set apart or to be holy. Revelation 14, 12 Uh, gives us a little bit of a description. It says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The book of Romans is written to the saints. The book of uh, Corinthians and Ephesians is also addressed to the saints. Uh, Ephesians 4.12 tells us the job of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It's weird for us to think of ourselves as saints because we still sin. But see, in God's eyes this morning, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are forgiven and you are innocent. Why? Because what of Jesus did on the cross... I need you to know this this morning. God is not angry at you. He sees you as a saint, as innocent. So we've been talking about what moves the heart of Jesus. And it's clear in God's word that Jesus cares about the saints. If you're a follower of Jesus, he feels a certain way about you. 1 Peter 5, 7 He tells us to cast all our anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Jesus cares enough that he is willing to carry your burdens. 1 John 5.15 tells us that he listens to us. It says, and this is the confidence that I have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. God sees you today and he hears you. That's an amazing thing to think of, that we have the ear of the God of the universe. It also says the saints can have the help from Jesus Christ. Hebrews thirteen six tells us that he wants to help us. And we can confidently say that the Lord is my helper. I will not fear that if we... Uh, what can man do to me? We have the help of the God of the universe. The Bible also tells us that you are valuable to him. Matthew 6, 26 tells us to look at the, air, uh, the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't own a farm. You know, they're not tilling the ground out there. They don't gather in the barns. And yet, our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they. So if we're going to love what Jesus loves, we have to love the saints. We have to love the church. That means we as a church need to be willing to carry each other's burdens. We have to care about each other if we want to feel the way that Jesus feels about us. And it means we need to listen to each other. We need to help each other. We need to see value in each other. Why? Because Ephesians 5.25 tells us that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. We ought to love each other and be willing to sacrifice each uh, for each other. John 13.35 says, by this shall all uh, people know that you're my disciples if, if, if you have love for one another. That's how the world's going to know that this is a genuine and a sincere church, a church that really follows Jesus, not just a church that's a social club or some type of community organization. The way that we're going to set ourselves apart is by our love for one another. And if you don't have a love for the church, then something is broken. Not the church building, not the things that it does or the way that it does things, But the people, the saints, we have to love each other for this thing called church to work. Now, some of you have suffered real pain at the hands of the church or the hands of Christians. Why is that? Well, it's because the church isn't perfect. And it's because this church is made up of broken people. So that means you will get your feelings hurt. You will have someone say something offensive to you. It happened to Paul. It happened to Peter. Hey, two of the closest apostles in God's word were Paul and Barnabas. And they got in a fight and they didn't hang out for a while. But in the end, they learned to forgive each other. See, Jesus wouldn't have to command us to love one another if it was easy. If it just came naturally. This is something that is... Unnatural. This is something that is supernatural for you to love people that hurt you. For you to love people that don't care about you the way they're supposed to all the time. He commanded us to love one another because he knew some of us were screwballs and some of us are selfish and all of us are sinners. But see, Jesus goes way past love your brother. He goes all the way to love your enemy. That means the person that doesn't agree with you politically. The person that doesn't have the same outlook on life as you do. The person that's against you. He tells us to love our enemies. Luke six twenty seven. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Those are some pretty harsh words. Abuse, curse, enemies. He tells us to go out of our way to show them love. Does that make sense? Absolutely not. But see, this thing is only real in you if it changes you. If we just do what everyone else expects of a good person, that is not supernatural. That is not something that Christ is doing in you. That is you just doing what everybody else expects. It's only real in you if it changes you. See, this whole thing is not for us just to try and be good people. It's for us to try and be Jesus people. People that when they see us, they see the work of Christ in us. And we can only be effective as a church if we love one another. And that means we must spend time together. We must eat together. We must break out of our complacency and introduce ourselves to each other. Why? Because you cannot encourage someone if you do not spend time with them. You cannot accurately pray for someone if you do not spend time with them. You cannot build each other up in the faith if you do not spend time with each other. And that's why we have this thing called life groups. They're a great way for us to connect with each other. And even if you're here and you say, well, I'm a super Christian. I don't need all that. Well, someone else needs you. You've got questions about this thing we call life groups. You write that down on your connection card and say, hey, I want to know more. This is why we've also challenged you as a church to go to coffee together and to go out to eat. Yeah, it's great. Invite some old friends with you, but invite someone you don't know as well. Because this is the truth, and people have told me this. People in this church feel disconnected from the family, and that is just plain wrong. It's not okay, church, for them there are those to be Uh, among us that do not feel connected that's not how this whole thing is supposed to work we have to love one another and that means doing things that are a little awkward that means going out of our way that means talking to someone we have nothing in common with why because jesus in us is supernatural and he does the work if we rely on him god loves the saints and we should too Jesus loves the saints. Now, there are some times, though, in God's word that it was obvious that they frustrated him that. In Matthew 17, when a man brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus, claiming that the disciples couldn't cast that demon out, Jesus had harsh words. And that was evidence of his growing frustration for the people that had seen all these signs and they should have known better than to doubt who he was. In Matthew 17, 17, Jesus answered, and this is what he said, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out from him and the boy was healed instantly. We see here Jesus was frustrated by the lack of faith of the saints. And another time, Jesus also expressed frustration with his disciples who just didn't get it. Jesus was teaching earlier in the day about the kingdom of God and growing in faith. And then Jesus was awoken out of a sound sleep, by disciples that were accusing him of not caring if they drowned in a storm that was threatening, uh, threatening to overturn their boat. And Jesus responded by commanding the winds and the waves to be still. And then he turned to his followers in apparent frustration in Mark 4 and said, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They had seen so many miracles. And they still didn't trust him. Jesus was frustrated at slow learners and people that lacked faith. Jesus was also frustrated by people and saints uh, that were filled with pride and they sought position and title. Mark 10, 35 says, James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to Jesus and declared. Check this out. This is crazy. This is what they said to Jesus. Teacher... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Ouch, right? Dude, that was not the way to approach the God of the universe. (laughs) Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And this is the patience and the loving kindness and the long suffering of Jesus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And they answered, grant us that we may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I will drink and be baptized with the baptism that I undergo? He's talking there about that cup of the crucifixion that he prayed about in the garden and asked God to pass from him. He's like, you guys don't know what you're asking for here. He says, can you drink of this cup? And they say, we can. Okay, good. And Jesus says, you will drink of that cup that I drink. He knew that in the the future, they were going to suffer that persecution for the cross And he says, you will be baptized with the baptism that I undergo. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. These seats belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them together and said, look, this is very important here. He says, you know those regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their superiors exercise authority over them. He says, you know how the world looks at power and authority. He says, you know how uh, the the king is worshipped and is served. And the generals are obeyed and they uh, rule with an iron fist. But he says, it shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see here that the disciples were not grasping Jesus' teaching on humility. The disciples had still not caught that Jesus was not coming to conquer Rome and to set up this physical kingdom with a throne and a castle. No, he was coming to die. But we see here James and John, they wanted a place of position. They wanted respect, power, a title. They wanted to be decision makers. They wanted influence. They wanted glory. They felt like they deserved it. But Jesus makes it clear that the greatest person is the unheralded servant, the person that doesn't push their name to get a title, the person who is willing to serve and not be served. See, the people that always want to be first in line and have their opinion heard first and to get their opportunity to shine first, the Bible says you will be last. If you're a person that's constantly looking at leadership and position and says, I should be the one doing that, that should be me. Be careful because pride comes before the fall and any leader that thinks that they're worthy probably isn't. The devil tempted Jesus with this physical kingdom here on this earth. But instead, Jesus Himself, the God of the universe, God in the flesh, submitted Himself and served His Father all the way to the cross. Our King came to serve, not to be served. And that is our example. Not to push ourselves to the front, to be first in line, to make sure our opinion is heard and everybody knows that we should get the credit. See, Jesus loves the church, and we should too. Well, let's make sure that we're not those slow learners that frustrate Jesus, those people that lack faith when we've seen God work over and over and over again, and yet we still say, do you not care about me, Jesus? Or those people that seek position or title or honor and glory. See, if we want to be the heart of Clarksburg, then we have to have a heart like Jesus and a heart for the people of clarksburg and that's the question that we've been asking over these three weeks does what moves the heart of jesus move me and we've seen so far in this series that jesus loves lost souls and that's what moves his heart jesus loves the suffering and the saints those all move the heart of jesus and we ought to be laser focused on those three things this year How can I put myself in a position to tell more people about Jesus? What can I do? How can I get more into the community? How can I serve more so that I can be in front of people that don't know Jesus and have some opportunity to tell them and show them the gospel? How can I be the hands and feet of Christ and serve the suffering, the broken, the hurting, the forgotten, and marginalized people and let them know the hope that is found in Jesus? And how can I love the church better? How can I love the saints better? How can I encourage and comfort and connect with this family better? Last year in our uh, vision council meeting, we all started with that question. Who does God want us to be and what does God want us to do? And this year we're going to pray like never before for God to give us the answer to that question. God, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? Because by the end of this year, we want to see a clear vision and direction for our church over the next five years. But see, I believe that God doesn't just give direction to one person in his church. I believe that if we seek his face and and his will, and we all are in unity as a church asking for that direction that we will have a supernatural unity and direction more than we've ever had before that doesn't make sense without the power of Jesus Christ. So this year, we're going to focus on some new things. We're going to focus in on loving what Jesus loves. We don't want to miss the heart of Christ as a church. So we're going to push for a renewed passion for sharing the gospel, we would, love for you to teach, uh, we would love to teach you about how to share Christ better and more naturally. And that's why we've got this thing on February 10th called CBC Nights, Sharing Christ Without Freaking Out. We want every deacon, we want every life group leader, we want every children's minister or, or a, a worker, youth worker to come be a part of this because it's not okay if we don't know how to share Christ. And we're okay with it. There's not guilt there. Let's just do better. Let's just get better. We've got to know how to share Christ. And second, that's the first thing. We're going to push for a deeper passion for sharing the gospel. Second, we're going to make sure we don't have any holes in our mission. So we're going to take up that monthly offering, that above and beyond offering, that highlights some areas that God tells the church to serve. Widows and orphans and prisoners and slavery and the sick. We started that last week and we had an awesome uh, response. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars, which is amazing that you are able to give above and beyond your normal giving to make sure that we're not forgetting about needy people in our society. So first, we're going to have a renewed passion for sharing the gospel. Second, we're going to make sure there's no holes in our mission. And thirdly, I'm gonna ask each and every one of you to start praying for God to give you an answer to that question: who does God want us to be, and what does God want us to do? We're gonna ask you as we pray over this whole year, we're gonna call it our year of prayer. We're going to ask you to join us in praying like never before that we have the vision and direction and mission and purpose and passion that God wants us to have. And as we pray this year, we're going to ask you to ask that question. Who does God want us to be? What does God want us to do? And when you feel like God is leading in your heart in that direction, we want you to write that down on your prayer card on a Sunday, on your connection card. And write those three words first so we know that that's what you're trying to say. Year of prayer. And then tell us, I feel like God spoke to my heart that we as a church should do this. We need to be careful with this, though. Because we aren't looking for a bunch of people to share opinions, right? We're seeking what God's opinion is. We're, We're asking God to speak to our hearts And maybe that looks like, hey, I feel like God wants us to give more to missions. Well, then you would write on your prayer card, year of prayer, God spoke to my heart that we should do more for missions. Or maybe God spoke to uh, my heart as a church, we should help start a church. See, we're not looking for ideas of what we could do. There's no shortage of things that we could do. But if we have a shotgun approach to ministry, that means we're just going to do less. We could start a program after ministry after program. We can have idea after idea after idea. And, and, and churches do that, but we don't want to be that church. We want to have a clear direction for what God wants us to do. There's no shortage of things that we could do, but we're seeking for what God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. So we're not looking for ideas. We're looking for direction. I've been working together with Morella, the head of the prayer commission, to put together a team of people from every generation to be what I call our long-range prayer team. And what we're going to do is we're going to take this responsibility very seriously. And over the whole next year, this year of prayer, we're going to go through those cards that you hand in when you feel like God's moved on your heart about something. We're going to go over those cards. We're going to pray over those cards. We're going to organize those things and see what rises to the top. So then by the end of the year, our goal is to present to the church a plan for our future that we can be confident that God gave us, not Pastor Phil, but God gave us that this is who we need to be as a church. So all this year, we're going to pray for God to answer that question. I'm going to write those things down. We're going to have a year of prayer. Whenever God tells us something, we're going to write that down. God, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? We see here in this series so far, we've seen that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes of people around him confused and broken and hurting and without hope. And that's our question for us. Do the lost move you? Do you really care if people die and go to hell? Do you really believe that? Are you okay with that? Because God is not, because God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And you are plan A. There is no plan B. For whatever reason, God chose you as the instrument to use to spread the gospel. Are you willing to be a prayer and a bringer and a teller of the gospel? Jesus' heart was also moved in anger. When religious people took advantage of other people for their own gain and they lifted themselves up. And when strangers aren't welcome and they're pushed out of the house of God. We saw last week that Jesus stood up for what was right. Jesus spoke for those that didn't have a voice. Jesus stood up for the innocent and those far from God. And we saw sometimes talk isn't enough. Sometimes you gotta flip some tables, and change requires action. Sometimes we've got to drive out some lies. Sometimes we've got to fight to make sure that we don't let the lies set up shop in our loved ones. We've got to stand up for what is right and stand up for the outcast. We've got to pray for God to help us to be bold and to have courage and to take action and to help us find those outside and bring them to God. Help us to be like Jesus. And then today we see that Jesus' heart was moved in love for his saints. It's clear that Jesus cares about the saints. That's you and I. Jesus cares enough to be willing to care about your burdens. And he listens to us and he wants to help us. Why? Because you are valuable to him. Jesus loves the church and we should too. Well, let's make sure we're not those slow learners or those people that lack faith, or those people that seek position or title. If we want to have the heart of Clarksburg, if we want to have the heart of Jesus, then we need to be moved by lost souls and the suffering and moved for the saints. And that's the big question for us this year. Because I'm not okay with playing church. I'm not okay with just going through the motions I'm not okay with just putting events on and and then us being like, well, we accomplished something, we did something, a bunch of people showed up. I want to be a part of a church that makes a difference in this world because I believe that when God is walked out through us, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, it will make a difference. Does what uh, moves the heart of Jesus move me? Does what God cares about matter to me? Are the things that I find the most important, the things that are the most important to God? And here's the thing. This is your church. This is your church. I'm just the pastor. If you rely on me to get things done and to do things and to to see people saved and to put uh, events on, we will not be effective. Until you decide this is my church and if I want to see something and I want to do something, it's going to happen through my participation. We're only going to go as far and do as much as you will participate in. Let's do something right now. We want to pray over these questions today. God, what do you want us to be and what do you want us to do? And as we go into this time of invitation, I'd like to spend some real, meaningful time specifically praying over that question, this question that we're going to be focused on this whole year. God, what do you want us to be? God, what do you want us to do? As the band comes, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. i want to invite all of those of you that feel comfortable doing this, and if you're not. It's okay. But I like to invite each and every one of you to join me down here at the front in praying over this question. And if you're not comfortable, it's fine. You can pray in your seat. That's awesome as well. But we want the answer to that. God, who do you want us to be? God, what do you want us to do? And as they begin to play, if you're burdened over that like I am, I want to ask you to join me here at the front.